while the world is quick to tell you all that it's against, Uptown Church wants you to know wherefore, we're for doing what's right and fixing what's wrong. We're for lifting up prayers and breaking down barriers. We're for the brightest, boldest, loneliest, finest, and most flawed among us. And most importantly, we're for you. Uptown Church. In the city. For the city. We're going into this season in our world and culture where we're really kind of talking about and thinking about family and gratitude. And um, anybody have a gratitude pumpkin? Anybody, anybody? Okay, not, not this crowd. But, you know, a season where we're really thinking about the things that we have in our lives and in kind of inventory in our lives. So we're starting this series today, Crazy Like Us, with that in mind. And it, to get us started, I want to share an experience that I had in my life. And has anybody, when you were in college or post-college, did you serve as an intern somewhere? Like you were the person who got the coffee, picked up the dry cleaning, other menial tasks that made you feel like... Yeah. Okay. So I served in a lot of internships, um, so much so that I thought getting coffee might be like what God was actually calling me to do. Um, thankfully, I'm here today. It's so good. But in one internship in particular, it was when I was in seminary, I did not initially set out to become a pastor. And so I had gotten a business degree, um, started a job in corporate America, and then a few years in realized that God was calling me to ministry. So I quickly changed course and went to seminary. And during my seminary journey, had to do a pastoral internship, you know, just like anything else, learning and practicing and uh, how to be a pastor and really care for people. And so I served at a church in Kansas City, Missouri. Anybody from Kansas City? I saw the chief shirt today. And one day I I got uh, to the church and the pastor that I was working with said, hey, Joy, I had an emergency pastoral care call and I I need to go take that and, um, and help this family right now. It's like, great. He's like, but I was on my way to go to the hospital to visit um, Sue. And Sue is supposed to be checked out today. She's transitioning out of the hospital, released. So could you just go pray with her? Um, I had never done a hospital visit first off. And I was like, sure, I can go visit Sue and pray with her as she transitions out of the hospital. What, What a good day. But I get to the hospital And the nurse meets me in the hallway and she said, oh, thank goodness you're here, Pastor. Sue is in the last moments of her life and her family is all gathered here and and they need a pastor to pray with him. And I was like, transitioning out. That was not the transition I had in mind. I was like, we are on a whole other level today. And and so I mustered everything within me. I was like, God is with me, God is for me, okay. And went in and, not to tell you every detail of that story, but it was a beautiful moment in which God met us in that space in the last moments of Sue's life. And it was an incredible privilege to be there as a pastor. One um, of those moments in my life that I probably won't ever forget as a pastor. But what continued to be so incredible about the experience is that Sue's daughters asked if I would do the funeral um, because we had had such a sacred special moment together at the end of Sue's life. And I said, of course, I would love to do this funeral. It was my first funeral ever. It was an honor to do it. And so we met to talk about Sue's life. I didn't really know Sue. I knew she went to our church and met her once before. And in talking about her life, 
I was blown away. I was like, Sue would just come in on Sunday morning. She was so sweet and quiet and you just unassuming. But as her family and friends talked about her life, it was incredible. This woman was probably the most generous person I had ever heard of. The things that she would do for people, there was not a stranger Sue ever met. She would welcome people into her home on a regular basis. Her family said there were always extra table settings at Thanksgiving because we, we just knew mom was going to be inviting somebody into our family and home. She was so hospitable. And everywhere that Sue went, she touched people's lives. And people would say the same thing as they told stories about Sue. They said, There's, I've never met anybody like her. She will literally give you the shirt off her back if you need it. She is generous. She is kind. She is good. And that just kept coming up over and over again. It was beautiful. And, and what I found interesting is her daughters chose a portion of scripture that we often hear at a lot of funerals, Psalm 23. And maybe you've heard it at a funeral before. Maybe you've heard it in church. It goes like this. It says that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the right path for his name's sake. And it goes on and it says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil for you, God, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They bring me peace. You prepare a table before me, even in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely, God, your goodness and your mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. It's beautiful. We could stop right there and we would have had church. Amen. But they picked this psalm for Sue's life and, and for her funeral. And as I was preparing the homily for that funeral, it hit me that that psalm, as much as it is talking about the shepherding nature of God, the author flips and talks about this hospitable nature of God. Kind of halfway through, it goes from talking about God as this good shepherd to talking about God as this gracious, generous host that prepares a table for us even amid our darkest times, even amid our enemies. And it goes on and talks about God's abundance so much that God anoints our head with oil and our cup overflows. And the more I read it and pondered and reflected on Sue's life, I thought, that, that's Sue. That was the life she lived. She emulated the very character and nature and generosity of God to everyone who met her. She shepherded them. She was with them in any time of their life. And more than that, she acted as the gracious host, setting the table for every person she met and it was such an honor to tell that story to a group of people gathered to celebrate and memorialize her life. But for me, I walked away from that experience being blown away because it shifted for me my life like paradigm, no joke. 
It, it changed for me how I understood God's gracious nature in the world and the way in which God calls us to be in the world. We are no, um, we, we're, it's no secret that we talk about gratitude and generosity at this time of year. We're no stranger to conversations, especially in November, around what you're grateful for and how will you give back and how will you be generous in this month. We talk about it all the time. But what I realized in encountering Sue's life and that portion of scripture and re-engaging with understanding God in a new way is that the generosity and the goodness and the gratitude of God far extended anything that I had previously understood. And I walked away thinking, that is the life I want to live. When I pass on from this life, will somebody say the things about me that they said about Sue? What will people say when you pass away? I mean, have you ever stopped and considered what will be the things people tell about you? They were great at their job. They had a cool car. You know, they went on really cool vacations. Or will they say like, Sue, they were the kindest, most generous, gracious person I ever met. See, because culturally we're talking about gratitude and generosity, I, I want to talk about that for the next few weeks, but not in terms of your gratitude pumpkin and how you're going to fill that up. Please do that if you do. That's great. But more than that, something that will change the paradigm of our life because it sits at the very heart of God and the very center of the gospel message that Christ has given us. See, when we talk about generosity and gratitude, it usually is a little bit something more like this. And I, these are real quotes on generosity and gratitude. Generosity happens when gratitude and your audacity for life meet. Who wants to put that on a t-shirt? Or we say things like, gratitude is like gravy, put it on everything. Someone's gonna steal that, come on. <laughs> One laugh, okay. Through the eyes of generosity, everything is a miracle. Really, is everything, I, I don't know. Maybe generosity is good. <laughs> Just keep it plain and simple. Or the attitude of gratitude is the highest form of being. Um, there's a lot more with attitude and gratitude, let me tell you. More gratitude, less attitude. <laughs> I'm gonna say that to my kids someday. <laughs> or gratitude is the attitude and, um, and then, I actually wrote this one because there's so much about gratitude and attitude. So here you go. Gratitude and attitude not only rhyme, but they are good for your life all the time. Okay? Just take that and go. Thank you. Gratitude and attitude. When we talk sometimes about gratitude and generosity, we kind of reduce it to these cliche statements or, you know what, just give a little here or there. Give back. But there's such a bigger picture that we're given in scripture and by God when it comes to gratitude. It's not a cheesy statement. It is a way of being. And so that's what I want to talk about the next few weeks in Crazy Like Us because it's actually a crazy thing to truly be grateful and to truly be generous in the way of God and in the way of Jesus. And actually when other people from the outside look in, 
it doesn't quite make sense to them because it is so out of the norm and so crazy. See, not only do we reduce generosity to these kind of ideas of just cliche statements and things that make us feel good and giving back, is that we think it's kind of like these random acts of, of giving. That it's just like oh, random acts of kindness or random things that we do. But I don't really want to talk the next few weeks, and I hope you don't feel like the whole point of the message is for me to get you to do something. Because really when we talk about generous living, when we talk about generosity, we're not talking about doing we're not talking about a do, a thing you can do necessarily. We're talking about a way you can be. Because generous is something you are, not something you do. Generous, being generous is not something you do. It's something you are. It's a way that you live in this world in response to the goodness of God. Now, I'm going to be upfront with you. In the next few weeks and today, I want to look at generosity in terms of, of giving, like financial, monetary giving. That is not all the layers of generosity. Being generous includes every area and layer of your life. Because people who live generously, like Sue, it impacts everything that they do and every way that they are in the world with everybody. Every conversation they have is oozing with goodness and grace in a different way because of generous living. But I, I want to focus in on the financial aspect of it. One, because that's what a lot of us think when we hear the word generosity. That's what a lot of people right now are talking to us about towards the end of the year is to give back, right? To be um, generous, to give back to others. But also, but also, and this might be a sticking point in church, but also because our financial, like, well-being, our financial attitudes how we handle our money says a whole lot about our faith. And how we live out our way of being in the world in terms of how we spend our resources says a lot about how we see God in the world and see our place as a follower of Jesus. In fact, I think it's, it's like a keystone habit in our life actually that when we understand how to see money and our finances like God does, it impacts and snowballs every other area of our life, sometimes like nothing else can. Because when we can learn to trust God with something that is hard sometimes for us to get, when we can trust God with that, it begins this effect, ripple effect in every area of our life. And so that's what we're going to focus on in the next couple of weeks. And for us, not only is generosity not random, it's just something we kind of randomly do. There's four kind of myths of generosity that I think we have out there, especially as related to our finances. There are four myths that we carry, and they, you'll see they spill out into other areas of your life, not just um, your money. And the first one is this, that generosity is spontaneous. 
that generosity is just a response to somebody maybe giving you a pitch as to a need. And so you feel inspired or you feel guilted to give something. And so, so you go ahead and just, without thinking about it, on the spot, give. You hear somebody has a need. You see a, you know, your kid's team is raising money for something. And you're like, oh, man, they're so cute in their little baseball uniforms. Okay. And, and you give them money. It's, we sometimes think that is the essence or heart of generosity. Or your friend needs help last minute, and you're like, you know, I got some time. Okay, let me go over there and help you. That it's not really a proactive thing, but more of a reactive thing. What we see actually from scripture, and what we're gonna talk about the next few weeks and learn is that generosity is actually not spontaneous. That the most generous people in our lives and the most generous people in the world actually plan to be generous. They're strategic in how they're generous and rarely do they spontaneously give their money, their time, or anything else because they plan for it. So first myth is that it's just spontaneous, reactionary, someone gives a pitch and you do something because of that pitch. The second thing is this, is that generosity is determined by cash flow. Meaning that at the beginning of the month, if you've got some money, you give it. But if you're at the end of the month and you know, you've paid your bills and it's looking a little bit tighter, you don't give that we base our giving based on how resources are flowing in and out of our lives in every other area. But what we'll see is that generosity and generous people are consistently generous. They, they make not only a plan to be generous, but a plan to consistently be generous. The third thing is this, and this is probably the thing that maybe as a pastor, gets me the most in talking about generosity is that we think it's the amount that we give that counts. You know, you hear people say like, oh, she was so generous. She just gave like such a large amount to that charity or to that organization. Or, oh, he, he's so generous. That was such a big gift. And we think that zeros and more of them equate to more impact or more generous giving. But it's not the case because think on the flip side, whatever you and I maybe can't put all the extra zeros, does it mean that we can't be generous then? And sometimes we trick ourselves into thinking that, that like, well, I can't give a lot, so maybe I can't give anything. One of the coolest stories in scripture is Jesus uplifting a woman who gives um, what was called two mites in scripture. Today that just equals a few dollars and cents. And she gives this after all of these religious leaders and people give large sums of money. It says bags of gold. And comparatively, it seems like she's the least generous one of them all. They sure think the amount counts. But Jesus praises what she gives because it wasn't about the amount she gave. It was the spirit and the heart in which she gave. And so generosity is not about the amount. Generous people just give. And then the last one is this, is that rich people are generous is that if you are generous, you must have then a lot to give, or that that is something simply wealthy people can afford to do. Here, here's the deal though. Rich people are rich, generous people are generous. 
and there is not any necessary natural correlation between those two things. Because generosity is a spirit. Generosity is a posture in the world. Generosity is not simply an action and an amount. Because remember, I said, we're not trying to get people to do something. We're trying to be something. And so generosity isn't about what you have in the bank. It's the way you live your life. And I want to give you a definition. Um, this is not my definition. Um, I took it from another pastor that I admire and respect of what generosity is. If this isn't what generosity isn't, how can we start to think about generosity, especially as it comes to our finances? And this, and again, this goes into every area of your life, but generosity is the premeditated, it's, it's forethought, it's, it's something you plan for, it's the calculated, meaning not only do you plan and schedule for it, but you determine, you figure it out what makes sense, it's designated, it's not random, it's the emancip emancipation of your personal finances. And this comes from Andy Stanley, and I love this because it's so clunky, <laughs> it's not the most beautiful definition of generosity, but it gives us this picture of what a generous spirit looks like. It's something that we work towards, that we plan for, that we calculate for, that we designate. And it is the freeing ourselves of assets and resources in our lives that sometimes we let run our lives. And I'll, that word emancipation, it is letting go of that which has the ability, I think, to lead in your life. And I love that he puts that in there because he says, if we're not generous, what can happen if we're not smart because usually generosity leads us to be smarter with our resources. If we're not smart, if we're not generous, other things in life begin to lead our life instead of God. And I think many of us are in this room because we, we don't want other things to lead our life. We've seen the rat race of more, 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 of worry, 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 and that's not the life we feel called to live. And generosity begins to loosen that from us so that we are truly, when we say we're following Jesus, we follow Jesus and it brings a joy and a peace in our life we couldn't imagine. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he, he says this in Acts and he is about to leave his church that he started at Ephesus. He, he's going to Jerusalem and he knows that this is probably the last trip he is ever gonna make in his life, that this is probably the end of the road. And so he leaves the church at Ephesus, this church he has started, and he says, basically, he's giving them his kind of final goodbyes. And if I could tell you just a couple things, this is what I'm going to tell you. And one of the things he says, he says this, in all of this, in all of our time together, I have given you an example of how to live and how to work to support all in our city especially those who are weak, especially those who are in need, especially those God has called us to care for. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus. He says, remember, I'm gonna tell you, this is why I have done this and why you should continue on in this example because it's what Jesus compelled us to do, what Jesus told us to do. And it's this, 
remembering the words of our Lord Jesus who said it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed for us to give than to receive. Now, we have probably heard many of us, that sounds, again, maybe like one of those cliche statements because maybe your grandma has it embroidered on a pillow or you've seen it on Pinterest. But what Jesus is saying here, it's not a cliche. Oh, it's more blessed. You'll feel better if you give. Sometimes we don't feel better. Let's be honest. Sometimes it feels better to receive, right? But Jesus is talking about is not a moment, how you feel in the moment of giving your resources. What Jesus is talking about, he's hearkening back to the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, when he says, this is what the blessed life looks like. This is what the good life looks like. This is what a life lived in the way of Jesus looks like. And he he says all of these things, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And that word actually, blessed, is translated in other translations as happy. Because what Jesus is saying is, happy are those people who live their lives ordered around blessing others, around generosity. That happy are those who have learned to give their life away and not hoard it in, because that is the blessed life. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's not saying it's going to always feel good when you go give your time to somebody. You may not always feel like you have that. It's not always going to feel good writing that check because you think, well, that could be this. But he's saying the life ordered around, not self, but around God and blessing others is the happy, good life. It's Sue. It's the life Sue lived that rippled and still ripples today in people's lives and impacts not only a family, but a city. In fact, and we're gonna close on this, the early church um, in the first century was often, often held in high suspicion by the Roman Empire, simply because they're this new group of people following this man named Jesus who supposedly died and was raised from the dead, and that sounded crazy. And for some of you, you're thinking, yeah, that still sounds crazy. But the Roman Empire found out about these people as they researched them because they, they thought, man, we have to snuff out these Christians because they're crazy people. But what is crazy is that as you read through history of different leaders in the Roman Empire and their reports on what early Christians was, were like, they didn't like them. They hated them. They thought they were crazy. They thought, held them in, with suspicion and thought something was wrong with those people. But every time they talk about what makes Christians crazy, it's stuff like this. The Christians... They meet on a certain day before light where they gather and they sing hymns to Christ as if Christ was God. They share a meal together with everybody, no matter what people have and don't have. And to them, they all bind themselves by the oath that they will commit no crimes, that they will encourage one another to do good, and that they will go out to everyone they meet and be good and kind and generous. In fact, there are other accounts of the early Christians and people saying, they're crazy. 
In fact, in the second century, when plague sweeped over the Roman Empire and took out a third of the population, one man wrote, one historian said, the Christians stay. They stay in the city to care for the sick and to care for the poor. Even when everyone has left, they stay to show goodwill to all people. It's crazy. And friends, that is the heart of God. That God is so crazy generous and so loves us. That God so loved the world that God gave everything, even God's very self to the point of death for you and I. And so when we talk about generosity, when we talk about gratitude in this season, that is what we're talking about. And what would your life look like? What would this world look like if the same thing that was said about early Christians was said about you and I? They're crazy. I don't know what is wrong with those people, but they are nice to everybody. They give back. They don't judge people based on their backgrounds. They're not against people. They're for people. Those people are crazy. You can't be like that. But what if we were? What if? What if we were crazy? Thanks for listening today. Want to connect with Uptown Church? Visit uptownchurchdallas.org or follow us on Instagram. And be sure to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. for in-person worship at House of Blues in Dallas. God is with you. God is for you. Go in peace.